Romans 15.3 says Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So as Christ has done this for us, we must do for one another when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible commentary that we may be equipped for every good work in Jesus Christ our Lord. Please tell others about our ministry at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. We come back to our study of the book of Romans, picking up in chapter 15. And I'm going to start out here by reading verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I once did a sermon on this particular section and each verse was its own point. So that's a seven point sermon. <laughs> I know I left my Baptist roots there, uh, my Baptist disciplines a little bit. And uh, instead of doing that three point sermon where every point begins with the same letter, that's how you're supposed to do Baptist sermons. We continue with the theme of the instructions that Paul had been giving in chapter 14, and this has to do with matters of conscience. Back in 14, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person is going to be convinced of one thing as a matter of conscience. Another person is going to be convinced of another thing. And we're not talking here about those things that Scripture strictly forbids, for we came right out of chapter 13 where uh, certain laws were even mentioned. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And then in uh, chapter 13, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So when we're talking about matters of conscience here, particularly over chapter 14, we're talking about those things that scripture does not strictly forbid. A person is not compromising their uh, their citizenship in the kingdom of God by doing or not doing this thing. They're just convinced in their conscience, this is what I must do, and they do it in honor of the Lord. And so Paul says, that's fine. They do what they do in honor of the Lord. You do what you do in honor of the Lord and do not quarrel over opinions. Do not divide. And most especially, don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody else that would cause them to sin. You are convinced that something is good. Keep that between you and the Lord. 
if you put that in front of somebody who is convinced that it's wrong, then you could cause them to fall into sin and to stumble. And now you're both wrong. You're sinning because you've caused your brother to stumble and your brother stumbles because he's done something that in his mind is he's convinced of sin. As it says at the end of chapter 14, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you do something that you are convinced is wrong, even if the Bible does not say that it's wrong, you've still sinned before God because you and your heart believed it was rebellion and then you rebelled. I've had these kinds of conversations with people before where they've come to me and they have said, you know, I did such and such. Is that wrong? And I'll say to them, well, I'm going to take you through the scriptures and help you to understand what the Bible says about this. But if you have to ask that question, your conscience is guilty. So you need to take that before the Lord. The example that Paul is given in Romans chapter 14 is with regards to food and drink. But as we went through that chapter over the last couple of weeks, we applied this to some other things as well. One of the big things going on in the culture right now, of course, is mask wearing. So you have some people saying you have to wear a mask. If you don't wear a mask, then you're sinning. And there are others that say you should not wear a mask. And if you do wear a mask, you are sinning. So this is a difference of opinion and a person needs to be convinced in their own mind do what they do in honor of the lord and don't shame a person because they're convinced that this is what it is that they have to do don't quarrel over opinions over these particular things with regards to food and drink alcohol consumption is often an example that gets brought into the principles laid down in romans chapter 14 one person believes a christian shouldn't be drinking alcohol at all no wine beer hard liquor anything another person says well scripture indicates that an abundance of wine is an indication of god's abundant blessing and so i can drink these things as long as i don't drink it to intoxication that's when it becomes sin but drinking alcohol otherwise is fine whatever you do do that in honor of God, but don't put a stumbling block before somebody else. One person's flesh may be completely weak to alcohol consumption, their conscience weak regarding this. So if they're drinking any kind of alcohol, then they've sinned. Let's say you're having a dinner party and you've got somebody at your dinner who is they're convinced in their mind that they should not be drinking any kind of alcohol and you serve wine at your dinner party. Because everybody else is drinking wine, they're thinking to themselves, well, okay, I'll, I'll have a little bit too. And then they get home that night and they're completely guilty because I, I did something that I believe the Bible says is wrong. I should not be drinking alcohol. And you've caused your brother or your sister to stumble. We need to be mindful of one another's conscience. As Paul has been talking about loving each other, loving the brotherhood, we're all different parts of the body, but we're part of the same body. As he said back in Romans chapter 12, this is another aspect of that, that we are considerate. We're mindful of each other. Uh, we can, we're, we're kind of in a culture right now where we're encouraged to become experts in one another's weaknesses. This is cancel culture. This is intersectionality. This is that whole microaggression thing. You know what I mean by microaggression? It's those small little slights. So if you say something a certain way, well, that's offensive, and I should be offended by that. I'm going to tell you that I'm offended. You need to change your behavior and your attitude and your words and stuff like that. See, this becomes... This creates this mindset of becoming an expert in one another's shortcomings and their weaknesses. And that is an evil thing. 
Scripture actually discourages us from being that way. And in fact, when we leave the finer points of the gospel, the gospel as Christ taught it, then this is what uh, becomes fostered in the mind. This is the kind of attitude that we will adopt toward one another is uh, having evil suspicions. Consider what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. So what kind of teaching are we talking about here? What is a different doctrine? It is any kind of teaching that against that that goes against the sound words of our Lord Christ. Basically what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John <laughs> and the teaching that comes from the apostles. And also the teaching that accords with godliness. So it's that teaching that flows from the gospel that produces godliness. When we listen to that teaching and we live by that teaching, we grow in Christ likeness and in godly behavior, attitudes, uh, a desire for God grows within us when we adhere ourselves to that teaching. That's the kind of teaching Paul is putting before Timothy. And from the start of this letter, he's been saying, don't let anyone teach anything else in the church where I send you. So if anyone goes against those words, the sound words of our Lord Christ and the teaching that produces godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, means of, of financial gain, of worldly gain, of prestige, of recognition. But as it goes on in verse 6 to say, godliness with contentment, is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. So in leaving the sound teaching of our Lord Christ, those, those words, those teachings that produce godliness in us. And that's whatever comes from the word of God. When we go away from that teaching and we wander off into vain discussion into mids, into, into cultural, uh, uh, cultural fads, just some of the philosophies that are going on in our culture right now, critical race theory, intersectionality, something like the social justice movement. And that's one of those things where it's like, well, surely we can all get behind that. We all want justice, right? Of course we do. For as it says in Deuteronomy 32, God is our rock and all of his ways are justice. But how is justice being defined in the social justice movement? We can't just hear that word and go, well, everybody wants justice. So, yeah, sure, we should get behind justice. How is the culture defining it? Just like with, you know, uh, some sort of movement of love <laughs> that will pop up in the culture every once in a while. How is the culture defining love? Because the way the culture defines love is often not the way that the Bible defines love. So we need to be careful about some of these fads and trends and philosophical thinking that attempts to shape 
uh, uh, cultural mindsets and not go along with according to what the culture wants us to do. Because right now we have we, we have these attitudes being fostered in which we're just supposed to be constantly suspicious of one another. It's that whole cancel culture sort of a thing. And this is evil to be this way, to become experts in one another's shortcomings. This is putting a stumbling block before another. And this is thinking low of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's thinking more highly of yourself and lower of your brothers and sisters. And what did Paul say to us back in Romans chapter 12? He says not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Consider verse four, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so as members of one another, we need to consider each other and strengthen one another, not weaken each other. And when we become experts in one another's weaknesses, that's exactly what we do. We weaken one another and the entire body weakens as a result. It is an evil thing to become an expert in one another's weaknesses, to be meditating on those weaknesses instead of thinking about how can you strengthen each other? How can we build up the body of Christ. How can I make my brother or sister in the Lord stronger? That's the way that we need to be approaching one another in the body. And I believe I mentioned this last week as we finished up the lesson, uh, the lesson on Wednesday, but as everybody in the body of Christ matures, the whole body improves. And that includes you. Does it not? If you help to strengthen your brother or sister in the Lord, does not, does that not also build you up the focus is not on you you benefit though that's not your goal that's not your aim the whole body benefits as we build each other up in love that's the picture in ephesians chapter 4 in first peter 2 where peter talks about how we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house unto the lord so how can you build up your brother or your sister in the lord as the whole body strengthens Everybody strengthens as the whole building is being built up. Everybody is being built up. And so we who have that maturity in the faith, who have strength in our faith, need to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Our aim is not to please ourselves, but to glorify God, to do this all to God's glory. That's verse seven. So we start off in Romans 15, one speaking this way. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not become experts in the failings of the weak, but to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. We do this to the glory of God. Verse seven, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we're building everybody up as a matter of worship. It is worship unto God when you consider others' needs ahead of your own, when you love your neighbor and build him up for his good, and that, that, that is good for the entire body, for the whole church. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. What is popular in the culture right now? to tear each other down. 
We're seeing this constantly. It's all over the place. It is the attitude of the culture to become experts in one another's weaknesses, to tear one another down, to shame the whole cancel culture mentality. And this is being fostered by those philosophical views like wokeism and critical race theory. It's right there in the name, critical theory. Whatever is in between those two words is designed to tear that down. You can throw race in the middle of it. You can throw masculinity in the middle of it. Critical masculinity theory is designed to tear down men and make them uh, feel weaker than they really are. Our culture hates chivalry and masculine strength and just being a gentleman. The culture wants to tear those kinds of things down. You cannot go with the cultural attitudes on what it means to be a man or a woman. Because right now the culture is saying, if you don't feel like a man, you can become a woman. If you don't feel like being a woman, you can, you can become a man. And the culture will tear down whatever it means to be a man or a woman. That way everything is just subjective and you can be whatever you feel like you want to be today. Your attitudes about this might change tomorrow. But whatever you feel like today... You can do that. <laughs> Just be that. That's that's where our cultural attitudes are right now. You need to go to your Bible and you need to read about what God says you are to be as a man of God or as a woman of God and do all of this to the glory of God and build each other up. Brothers, building up brothers in the Lord. Sisters, building up sisters in the Lord. Men respecting women, women respecting men in the Lord. For this is pleasing unto God. Let us please our neighbor for his, his good to build him up. Now, I was on those two verses last week. Technically, today I should be getting to, to verse three. So let's consider that. Almost done with the lesson here. And I'm just now getting to the verse that I should have been getting to. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So let me explain what this means. This is a reference to Psalm 69, verse 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. So the psalmist there is saying that they are so devoted unto the Lord that whatever God, God is passionate about, that's what I'm passionate about. What does God desire? That's what I desire. Zeal for your house has consumed me. But because of this, because I am a follower of God and I desire those things of God, the people who hate God therefore hate me. So the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So verse 3, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ was all about his father's work, his father's will. And those who hate the father hated the son. And the reproaches against God fell upon the son. And he was crucified on the cross by the sin of man for the sin of man. That whoever believes in him our sins are imputed to him, and then his righteousness is imputed to us. The enmity that we had against God is on Christ on the cross. He takes that upon himself and gives us his righteousness, all those who believe in him. This is the great exchange that takes place. Our sins upon him, his righteousness to us. The reproaches of those who reproached God fall upon Christ. 
and the righteousness of God falls upon us for those who believe in him. So because this is the uh, the great favor and grace that God shows to us, therefore, that needs to be our attitude with one another as well. And we need to have the attitude also that that whenever someone in the body of Christ is reproached, whenever someone in the world hates a member of our own church, of our own body and congregation, then we need to feel that with each other. If somebody in my church is hated by the world, the world's hating me too. The, the reproaches that fall on them also falling upon me. They hate God, therefore they hate the church. What they have hated about God falls also upon the church. This is why Jesus says, when the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If the world received you as its own, it would not hate you. But because you are not of the world, but rather I have chosen you, therefore, when the world hates you, it's because they hated me. This is what Jesus has said to his disciples and says, therefore, also to us. So the reproaches that fall on anybody else in the church also falls upon the rest of the church because it comes from those who hate God. Christ did not please himself. So therefore, we should not be out to please ourselves. As Christ gave himself for his church, we need to give ourselves for the church to better one another, to build each other up in the Lord to the glory of God, not becoming an expert in one another's weaknesses, but bearing with one another's weaknesses, that we strengthen each other in Christ. My friends, this world is such an unrelenting place, unforgiving, ungracious. The world is no grace. And you see that growing and getting worse and worse in the culture around us as some of these critical philosophical thoughts continue to seize the mind and shape the cultural attitudes. The church needs to be a place where brothers and sisters in the Lord know that they can come and they can experience the grace of God. They can receive forgiveness from their brothers and sisters, not those who are going to be experts in their weaknesses, but those who look out for their best interest and build them up. Even when you have to admonish somebody for their sin, you do so with goodwill because that's what the word admonish means. It means to correct with goodwill. The world has no intention of correcting with goodwill. The world is just going to shame and cancel and tear you down. But we as Christian brothers and sisters in the Lord, when it comes to correcting one another's sins, it's for the purpose of building up to restore back to the path of righteousness, that the grace of God may be demonstrated within our midst because we all need it. Every single one of us needs the forgiveness and grace of God on a daily basis. As Paul said to the church in Colossians chapter three, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. If any of you has a complaint against another, that's the way Paul shapes it there. He says, if you have a complaint against somebody else, forgive as God has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. How countercultural is that, right? And it goes right back to Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's help one another do that in the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good spirit that you show to us, pouring out your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, 
and self-control. May we do this with one another, strengthening one another in these things. And when the world hates us, we know it's because they hate God, but we hold fast to Christ who has overcome the world and strengthening one another in Christ according to your word. Let this word be in our hearts today and fill us with peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more about our ministry, visit us online at www.utt.com.